We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. Ron DeSantis officially enters the 2024 presidential race. American decline is not inevitable. It is a choice. House Democrats' tempers flare over the president's ongoing negotiations with Republicans on the debt ceiling. But this time they're unified and they're watching the polling and they think this is the round that we can win. The House votes to overturn the president's student loan cancellation plan and resume payments. Making the other Americans pay off other people's student loans is inherently un-American and inherently unfair. This is the Daybreak Insider Podcast. Your first look at today's top stories for Thursday, May 25th. I'm Tasha Stevens. It's official. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis launched his 2024 presidential campaign Wednesday with strong criticism for President Biden and his administration. DeSantis also seemed to take a jab at former President Trump by emphasizing looking toward the future and not the past. There is no substitute for victory. We must end the culture of losing that has infected the Republican Party in recent years. The tired dogmas of the past are inadequate for a vibrant future. We must look forward, not backwards. We need the courage to lead, and we must have the strength to win. And to voters who are participating in this primary process, my pledge to you is this. If you nominate me, you can set your clock to January 20th, 2025 at high noon. Because on the west side of the U.S. Capitol, I will be taking the oath of office as the 47th president of the United States. No excuses. I will get the job done. In his audio stream on Twitter, DeSantis was direct about what direction he wanted to take the country. American decline is not inevitable. It is a choice. And we should choose a new direction, a path that will lead to American revitalization. We must restore sanity to our nation. This means embracing fiscal and economic sanity. Stop pricing hardworking Americans out of a good standard of living through inflationary borrow print and spending policies. And please embrace American energy independence. This also means replacing the woke mind virus with reality, facts and enduring principles. Merit must trump identity politics. The Florida governor also pointed to his accomplishments in the Sunshine State. Reestablishing integrity in our institutions means We must reinvigorate our constitutional system by returning the government to its rightful owners, we the people. No social or economic transformation without representation. Truth needs to be our foundation. Common sense can no longer be an uncommon virtue. And in Florida, we proved it could be done. DeSantis is largely seen as the biggest contender for the GOP nomination next to former President Donald Trump. However, many political experts believe that the governor has his work cut out for him to win the nomination. Town Hall's Guy Benson argues that DeSantis has to be strategic in running his campaign because he wants to appeal to a large swath of both Republican voters and Trump supporters. He has to sort of be strategic. 
He wants to appeal to a large swath of Republican voters and conservatives who like former President Trump. Many of them are Trump supporters right now. Some of those supporters are, let's say, soft supporters. He doesn't want to actively alienate them, but he does want to raise certain differences, points of difference, where he would make the case that I'm the better bet for the Republican Party and the future of the movement in general. And the opportunity Mm -hmm. to serve eight versus just four is one of several that I think that he'll probably pursue. Still, many conservatives support the Florida governor's bid for the GOP nomination. John Stuper was DeSantis' baseball coach at Yale, and he couldn't be prouder. Pride, uh, absolute pride. You know, it was a big deal when he became a congressman. Um, to be honest with you, it was surreal when he became governor and I watched him at the inauguration and then another inauguration. Um, but obviously this is another level altogether and um, support him 100 percent could not be prouder of him. According to polling, former President Trump still holds a large lead among his GOP contenders by nearly 37 points, while DeSantis is second at 19.4 percent. The Trump campaign has repeatedly pointed to polling to highlight how Trump is still the favorite for the 2024 nomination. However, Republican strategist Karl Rove said the Trump campaign shouldn't go out beating the drum about how far the former president is ahead in the polls, because now that DeSantis is officially in the race, they're going to tighten. Jim Garrity of the National Review joins the Salem Radio Network and says that despite some in the media making a big deal out of some of the technical difficulties that peppered DeSantis's announcement on Twitter, people will largely focus on the governor's message. Look, when we talk about Ron DeSantis's presidential campaign, whether it's successful or whether it fails, when, we, when you write the book on it, the announcement is going to be a very thin chapter, maybe even just a couple paragraphs. It's not that big a deal in the grand scheme of things. It may be... But the, the one way it matters is that this is the one time a candidate gets to say, this is who I am. This is what I stand for. This is going to be my theme. This is going to be my focus. And after tomorrow, you know, starting tomorrow, you're going to have crazy questions. And what about this scandal back in Florida? And what about you? Know, you, you lose control of the message. But for one day, you get control of the message. And that's what today is going to be. DeSantis's campaign says it raised $1 million online in the first hour after the announcement. The Wagner militia, which is aiding Russia in the war on Ukraine, says thousands of his troops have lost their lives. Daybreak Insider's Charles Deledesma has the latest from the ongoing war in Ukraine. Wagner's chief says his force has lost more than 20,000 soldiers in the drawn-out battle for Bakhmut, with about 20% of the 50,000 Russian convicts he recruited to fight in the 15-month war dying in the eastern Ukrainian city. The figures in stark contrast with claims from Moscow that it's lost just over 6,000 troops in the war. It's also higher than the official estimate of the Soviet losses in the Afghanistan war of 15,000 troops between 1979 and 1989. I'm Charles de Ledesma. As negotiations over the debt ceiling continued on Wednesday, House Democrats began grumbling over what they believe are President Biden's concessions to Republicans to avert a default. Some Democrats fear his limited public statements on the debt ceiling amount to ceding the messaging war to Speaker Kevin McCarthy. Other Democrats say the president is wrong to discredit the 14th Amendment option to tackle the debt limit unilaterally. Regardless, many political experts believe that the problem many congressional Democrats have is who the public will blame if the U.S. defaults on the debt. Without a more aggressive effort to talk to the public, Democrats worry that voters will focus their anger on the president and them. 
Meanwhile, Speaker McCarthy exited Wednesday's talks, reminding the press that the president waited nearly 100 days to talk with him about the debt. We cannot continue down this path. But the president waited 97 days, not even to talk to me. He could have spoken to me, said we were wrong on other angles, but he didn't. And now we're eight days away from Biden having default. I don't want that to happen. However, on the Senate side, Minority Leader Mitch McConnell says that everyone simply needs to calm down because the U.S. will not default. I, I think everybody needs to relax. The last 10 times, the last 10 times we raised the death ceiling, there were things attached to it. This is not that unusual. It is almost entirely uh, required when you have divided government. Regardless of what may be said about the talks on a day-to-day basis, uh, the president and the speaker will reach an agreement. It will ultimately be passed on a bipartisan vote in both the House and the Senate. Democrats' fears may not be unfounded. Olivia Beavers of Politico joins the Salem Radio Network and says that House Republicans are unified and their messaging is consistent. We're following House conservatives. We're following the Freedom Caucus. We're trying to gauge where they are each step of the way of these negotiations. And... Speaker McCarthy is probably receiving the highest marks I have ever heard him receive from these groups, these Republicans who have previously opposed him for speaker. And I've been highly critical of how of how he's led the conference. And now they're giving him really high marks Um, there. I've asked them about whether they've discussed the motion to vacate. They say that's not even part of the discussion. Matt Gates is saying the only person to ask you about that is the media. So he's sort of throwing it back at us. But we're trying to gauge if there's any chance that these conservatives see McCarthy making a deal with President Biden, whether they would revolt, whether they would choose to use this tool that they had pushed for um, when they were in the speakership fight, basically so that one member can do a motion to vacate and try to expel McCarthy. So at the moment, he's he's getting really high marks. Beavers goes on to explain that House Republicans feel like they have the leverage in the ongoing debt talks. Republicans, like you said, are feeling very comfortable. I'm asking the, the battleground Republicans, I'm asking the conservative Republicans, because McCarthy was able to pull his conference together very narrowly pass a GOP um, plan to present to Biden, they all think they have the upper hand. And in the past, Republicans have faced blowback for trying to push for spending cuts with the debt ceiling. You saw it with Boehner and all of them have watched that in full. But this time they're unified and they're watching the polling. And they think this is the round that we can win because President Biden has gone from we're not negotiating to we're not negotiating. And I'm putting that in air quotes because they were negotiating and they were just trying to pretend that they weren't. And then now they are negotiating and there is, Republicans believe they might be able to win this round. Republican Representative Josh Perkin of Oklahoma says he blames the media for all the anxiety surrounding the debt ceiling talks. Look, in recent history, we've not defaulted. And and so what people have got to do is they've got to start uh, reading through the narrative that mass media is, is presenting when they use the word default consistently and know that there is a difference between default and what's happened 20 different times. Um, I, I can't predict the future, but I can say that a government shutdown is something that you don't hear that word nearly as much as default. And the history tells us that when we get up against these uh, you know, these um, impasses, you've had 20 different 
government shutdowns since the since the uh, Ford administration. Burkine explains that simply Republicans are the only ones who have put forth a plan to raise the debt ceiling. Nobody likes the discomfort of where we're at. For 100 days, the president did not talk to 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 the House. And the only plan that's been pushed, pushed forward was the plan that the House Republicans pushed forward, yeah, and I, the and Limit, I'm glad Save, and Grow I'm, Act. A new Monmouth poll released Wednesday found that 34 percent approve of Biden's handling of the debt limit. And a recent Marist poll found that 43 percent of Americans would primarily blame the president if the U.S. defaulted on its debts. South Carolina adds itself to the list of states with near-total abortion bans as fights continue in courts and state houses around the country. More on this from Daybreak Insider's Julie Walker. Lawmakers in South Carolina passed a six-week abortion ban. North Carolina lawmakers overrode the Democratic governor's veto of a 12-week ban. Nebraska also passed a 12-week ban. Fourteen states currently have bans on abortion at all stages of pregnancy. A federal court is deciding whether to uphold a judge's ruling rescinding approval for the abortion pill Mifepristone. Meanwhile, Planned Parenthood is laying off up to 15 percent of its staff and sending more money to affiliates to focus on state politics. I'm Julie Walker. While the Supreme Court considers the president's student loan forgiveness program, the House took measures into their own hands. And in a 218 to 203 vote that fell largely along party lines, the House overturned the controversial plan to cancel more than $400 billion in debt, as well as restart loan payments for tens of millions of borrowers. Either way, the White House says the president will veto the bill. Democrats say the administration's plans to forgive up to $10,000 of federal student debt per individual helps the middle class. But Republicans say it's unfair to Americans who never went to college or who paid off their loans. The forgiveness program would cost around $400 billion, according to nonpartisan estimates. Taking together, the student, the Biden student loan scam would cost taxpayers up to a trillion dollars when it's all said and done. Simply put, America cannot afford it. Already, the effort to forgive student loan debt is on pause, tied up in lawsuits by several state attorneys general. The Biden-Harris administration remains confident in its legal authority to provide this essential relief, and FSA will deliver it to deserving borrowers once allowed to proceed. And again, the House vote is happening today at this point, though it's still unclear when the Senate might take up this legislation for its own vote. The president established the forgiveness program through an executive order. And the Government Accountability Office said in March that the policy and the student loan payment pause are rules subject to the Congressional Review Act. The Education Department for the past three years has suspended student loan payments without accrual of interest, saving borrowers some $5 billion a month in interest. Republican Congressman Chip Roy of Texas took to the House floor and used former Speaker Nancy Pelosi's own words to shut down any talks of student loan forgiveness. And on student loans, need we go any further? Then looking at the quotes from Speaker Pelosi, when she said, people think the president of the United States has the power for debt forgiveness. He does not. He can postpone. He can delay. But he does not have that power. That has to be an act of Congress. That was that grand MAGA extremist, Nancy Pelosi. She also added, Uh, Suppose your child just decided they at this time do not want to go to college, but you're paying taxes to forgive somebody else's obligation, she continued. You may not be happy about that. 
Roy says that Americans understand that student loan forgiveness is unfair to those who never went to college or those who paid off their debts. Are American families supposed to be happy that they now must cover the cost of someone else's education? Again, that great MAGA extremist Nancy Pelosi. The fact is the American people understand that making the other Americans plumbers, people who paid off their loans, pay off other people's student loans is inherently un-American and inherently unfair. And one last message to my Republican colleagues. Passing a CRA to die in the Senate and die at the president's desk is not enough. We should defund the student loan fiasco in the debt ceiling bill. Don't blink. The measure now heads to the Senate, but the president has already threatened to veto it if it passes. After suffering a sharp loss in its fiscal fourth quarter, Kohl's came roaring back in the latest quarter. Daybreak Insider's Rich Thomason takes a look at the numbers. The department store chain reports turning a profit in the first quarter. The turnaround took analysts by surprise. They had been predicting more red ink. Among factors contributing to the turnaround, the retailers moved to trim inventory in light of weak sales and its plan to be more judicious with discounts. Sales also grew in its Sephora shops. After confirming its full-year guidance, shares of coal stock shot higher in pre-market trading. Rich Thomason reporting. The first double above-the-knee amputee to climb Mount Everest has returned from the mountain. Daybreak Insider's Ed Donahue has more on the story. Hari Buddha Magar lost both his legs in Afghanistan while serving in the British Army. He reached the top last week, 29,000 feet. Magar says he thought several times about quitting because of his family. What does it feel like standing on top of the world? It is amazing. Uh, but uh, it was a snowstorm, so couldn't stay longer uh, and uh, have a nice view um, around. Magar says his main aim for the rest of his life is working to bring awareness about his disability. Instead of the weaknesses, we should be focusing on our strength. I'm Ed Donahue. And finally, music legend Tina Turner has passed away at the age of 83 after a long illness. She suffered from ill health in recent years, being diagnosed with intestinal cancer in 2016 and having a kidney transplant in 2017. Fox News' Martha McCollum remembers the iconic singer. Tina Turner was born Anna Mae Bullock on November 25, 1939, in Nutbush, Tennessee. At 11, her parents divorced and she moved in with her grandmother. By the time she was 16, Anna Mae was hitting the local R&B nightclubs. She met Ike Turner in 1956 at the Club Manhattan. He was there performing with his band, The Kings of Rhythm. Anna Mae repeatedly begged Ike to let her sing. Eventually, he let her join him on stage. Anna Mae was a hit. When Ike had a falling out with one of his band vocalists a few months later, he asked Anna Mae to step into the recording booth. The result? The 1960 hit, Fool in Love, which hit number two on the R&B charts. It also marked the transformation from Anna Mae Bullock to Tina Turner, a name the songwriter came up with without consulting Anna Mae. The pair formed the Ike and Tina Turner Review. Their 1966 River Deep Mountain High didn't get much attention in the U.S., but charted in the U.K. and is now considered a classic. The single was produced by Phil Spector, who called her singing 
Hurricane Alto. McCollum goes on to describe Turner's groundbreaking comeback in the 1980s. After years of struggling to make a comeback, she hit it big in 1984 with her album Private Dancer. The songs What's Love Got to Do With It and Better Be Good to Me won three Grammy Awards that year. Turner's album sold 11 million copies, and at 45 years old, she reestablished her title as the Queen of Rock and Roll. In 1991, Ike and Tina were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. After her 2000 tour, Turner announced her retirement. In 2005, she was a Kennedy Center honoree. Then, after eight years of retirement, Turner went back on tour, showing the world she still had that voice and those legs. Rolling Stone magazine has twice named her one of the greatest of all time. Turner is survived by her second husband, German music executive Erwin Bach. They married in July of 2013. After 27 years together, they had a home in Switzerland. Her first child, Craig Raymond Turner, died in July of 2018. In 2020, Turner said that in spite of some serious health problems, the last 10 years of her life had embodied her ideal vision of happiness. She was quoted as saying, True and lasting happiness comes from having an unshakable, hopeful spirit that can shine no matter what. That's what I've achieved. And it's my greatest wish to help others become truly happy as well. Subscribe to the Daybreak Insider podcast at Apple or Google Podcast, Spotify, or SalemPodcastNetwork.com. Get our companion Daybreak Insider newsletter each morning at DaybreakInsider.com. Ongoing coverage of breaking news and commentary at SRNNews.com and TownHall.com. Thanks for starting your day with us. I'm Tasha Stevens.